to see you online. It is a bit weird this morning. Uh, I'm currently preaching to Bernie and Carl on Friday morning. Uh, Colin's not here, so, I mean, we could say whatever we we want, really, but I'll try and keep it, you know, a little less heretical. Um, Yeah, so welcome, welcome um, to those in the room. Hi, it's good to have you with us. Uh, To those watching online, also extra high. Um, Yeah, I'm Brooke, for those of you who don't know me. And before we begin, let's just pray together, eh? Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your presence here with us. Uh, We're two or more gather, there you are. So whether uh, we're at church in the building, whether we're at home with our family, uh, wherever we are, we know that you are with us. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would um, yeah, be present and be speaking to our hearts as we dive into this text. Yeah, show us, uh, yeah, work on our hearts, God, and show us your ways and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to finish off the God of the Ordinary series. Um, so, the last three weeks, if you have been following along, we have been, or well, I have been, digging into what it means to have uh, a faith that intersects with our ordinary lives. What does it mean to have a God who actually cares about the details of our lives? He's there in the big moments, but he's also present in the everyday moments. Uh, We've been diving into John 15 and looking at Jesus' last words to his disciples. So this is the Last Supper. This is right before the crucifixion. What is he saying to his disciples in these last moments? What is he encouraging them to follow? What is he drawing them into? What is he leaving with them as his last words? And the thing that keeps sticking out to me is Jesus uh, again and again says to his disciples, abide in me. He points out that he is the true vine. He uses this phrase, I am, which is referring to him being divine, him being God, which in that context in the Jewish culture was just mind-blowing. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah that you've been looking forward to. I am God. And he also points to himself as the true vine. So in the Old Testament, God's people, the people of Israel, they knew this analogy of themselves being the vine and God being the vine dresser. He's the one who uh, gathers the people and tends to them and cares for them. And they're the vines within God's vineyard, producing good fruit. And Jesus kind of subverts this analogy and says that he is the one who is the, the vine. He is the one that we are grounded into. He is the one that we connect to. We cannot be a fruit apart from him. So that's the context of what we've been looking at in this passage. And in week one, we looked at the God of intentions. In our ordinary everyday life, especially around the new year, intentions and resolutions and goals are a big thing, right? But Jesus, he calls us to connect with him as his biggest intention for our life. Not, it's not about productivity, it's not about 
doing more, being better, is about connection with the vine, connection with Jesus. And then last week, we looked at God being a God of interruptions. In our ordinary lives, all of us have interruptions. They're frustrating, they're surprising, they're moments in everyday life where something happens and we didn't expect it. But what if, rather than getting frustrated and those moments drawing us away from our own plan for our day or for our week, what if those moments could be opportunities to enter into God's presence in those moments? What if God was doing something in our everyday lives and interruptions could be an opportunity to reorient ourselves to God, to Jesus? Maybe he's doing something in that moment. And a big thing that I wanted us to take away from this series is having really practical applications to walk away from. So in the first week, we talked about drinking water and how we might use that everyday moment of picking up a glass and taking a drink. This is coffee, not water. Uh, But everyone has to hydrate, right? What if in your moments where you're drinking your cup of water in the morning, maybe your cup of coffee, uh, you remained mindful to God and how he is... Uh, He is the living water. He's pouring into us. And we have to pour into and nurture our relationship with him and that connection with him. And then last week, uh, I'm not sure if any of you guys, we talked about breath prayer. Maybe some of you tried it out. This moment where interruptions happen and rather than leaning into the frustration, maybe you take a big breath in and out. And you breathe in God and you breathe out. Just a really simple request that you have. So it might be, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Maybe some of you tried that. Um, If so, awesome. Maybe put it in the chat. Um, Did we try it in traffic? I know I tried it when my dog loves to have zoomies especially at night when you're trying to make dinner and everything's a bit chaotic and then he just goes crazy and you're just like, just stop it. Um, Sometimes those moments just need a bit of a big breath in and a breath out. And sometimes you just close the door and leave them outside. Um, Yeah, did you try that? Did did it connect you into what God was doing in that moment? This week... This week we're digging into John 15 verses 9 to 17. So if you have your Bibles with you, grab them. I have my real Bible here. So gold star please for me, bringing my real Bible to church. And we're going to read this passage together. And I want you to look for the word love. Because as I was reading this passage, John 15, 9 to 17, This word really stuck out. So I want you to count how many times the word love is used. But before we dive into that, where I want to weave this message today is with the everyday ordinary theme of eating. Okay? We've looked at drinking water. We've looked at breathing. These are all things we have to do every day. So eating is something, again, that is ordinary that is an everyday thing. So we're going to, or I'm going to try and weave together 
the, the rhythm of our Christian faith, a rhythm of fasting and feasting, how does that connect to the scripture? How does that connect for the way in which Jesus is telling his disciples, it's the very end of their journey together, and he's telling them to love each other. How does the rhythm of fasting and feasting and everyday thing connect in to what Jesus is saying? So let's go there together. Let's read from this passage. John 15, verses 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, so I did tell you guys to be counting love, and then I wasn't actually doing it. So as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, abide in my love. That's like three times already. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. So it's five times already. We're carrying on. This is my commandments, that you love one another as I have loved you. Seven times. No one has greater love. Oh, that's an eighth one. I actually haven't made that bold. I missed that one. To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. Continuing on for the last two verses here. So we're at eight, count of eight for the word love. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. All right, so what final count did we have? Bernie and, and Carl, did you, did you count? Did, did you just read my fingers? Okay, nine, nine. They are listening, good. Um, so Jesus is talking about love nine times. So this is fairly important. Jesus, his call to us in these verses Yes, it's a call to fruitfulness, but it's a fruit that will last. What is the fruit that will last? It is love. Love is the outcome of a transformed, a renewed, a restored, a redeemed, and all things made, made new life. Love is the outcome of that. Jesus comes and he transforms us. He connects us to him, the vine, and then we, the branches, produce fruit because of our connection with him. We're called to fruitfulness, but we can't do that outside of Jesus and our connection to him. We cannot strive and try and earn this for ourselves. The true test of the life of the branches being in a flourishing and connected relationship with the vine, Jesus, is love. This is, this is what we're called to. 
yes, a flourishing and connected life with Jesus, and the outcome of that is a life of love. A fruit-bearing life is one that's been transformed by love. It's not one in which we strive to perform, to, to put on our Christian face and, and do miracles or pray the best prayers or help out every night with a different charity. Those are all good things, but we need to, to do those good works in connection with Jesus, the vine, not as a striving. And now, getting back to our feasting and fasting and the rhythm of food and eating, how does this connect in? How does this fit? Now, disclaimer, I do know that there are, will be people out there and there's a discomfort in your relationship with food. There's a discomfort in your relationship with your body and that's a really hard place to be in. And so, just short story, no, it's kind of like the too long didn't read version of this message. I don't want to tell you that you just have to try more, that you have to be self-disciplined and have willpower to achieve a certain image. So I wanted to say that up front. That's not where this message on food and eating and feasting is going, okay? I wanted to contrast something else, something that Jesus calls us to. So I, I got to this thought process of feasting and fasting because in this passage, right, Jesus is feasting with his disciples. Jesus is taking of food and wine and he's sitting and he's talking He's feasting before he goes to the cross. He's feasting before he fasts because he's going to be in a tomb for three days. Like that's a, yeah, that's a fast. That counts as a fast. But what he's calling his disciples to, he knows that they're going to have to fast from him for three days. They don't know it, but there's this kind of everything's on the edge of tipping over and falling apart, Jesus is going to be arrested and taken and crucified. Jesus knows they're heading into a season of fasting and mourning. Really intense season. It's three days, but I'm, I bet that felt like forever. But what he points them to, so to track with me, I know it's a, it's a bit. Jesus is feasting with his disciples and he's going into a season of fasting. His disciples are doing the opposite they are going to be going into a season of fasting, but what Jesus points them to is the feast that is going to be ahead. It's the feast of being with one another, of having love be still a part of their lives. Jesus is going to be resurrected and then go back to heaven, but the Holy Spirit is coming to earth. The Holy Spirit is Jesus amongst us, God amongst us. So we get to actually feast on this love of God in our midst. Jesus isn't present with us, but he is through his spirit. It's kind of weird, but you kind of see where I'm going. They're going into a season of fasting from Jesus, but Jesus is pointing them to the feast on the other side, this feast of loving each other in that love for one another. The divine is still there, present in their midst. And I love this because as I was thinking about it, it's like Jesus is subverting this narrative around food that, that we have currently in our culture today. So 
Think back on Christmas Day and New Year's. There's that period between Christmas Day where there is a lot of food in the house. There's, you know, Boxing Day, the tradition in my house growing up, you have trifle for breakfast because there's just so many leftovers, there's so much dessert. And you kind of go through this phase, or at least my household does, where you're just picking out and you're just like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, we don't care, like, sure, the kids can have chocolate for breakfast. And that's a part of Christmas Day, right? You're feasting, you're enjoying, but the kind of thought process behind it is more like this, you know, all you can eat, all out, gluttonous, is very individual. And it's very much based on mindless consumption. And that happens first, the feast happens first. But then what happens in the new year, right? What happens when the new year rolls around and you've got this pressure? New year, new me, I'm gonna um, get, to the gym, get to the gym. I'm gonna stop eating sugar, stop eating a second pav- slice of pavlova uh, after dinner every night. And there's this focus on fasting or restricting your diet but from the perspective of penance and making up for your, your past sins of gluttony and enjoying that luxurious treats and the ham and the cheese and, and the cherries and everything. Sorry if I'm making everyone hungry. Um, and so the whole process is actually quite shame-filled. And this is what diets do to us, right? Like this isn't just a pattern that happens at Christmas and New Year's. It's just more in our face, Christmas and New Year's. There's this pattern of uh, feasting or binging and comfort eating and then everything flips and you kind of go into a season of restriction for penance, for for making penance. And it's shame-filled. It's focused on ourselves. It's focused on our individual bodies and our image and our reputation. But what I see in this passage is that Jesus is subverting this script. And so if we look at this slide here, this is everything I've been talking about, all right? We feast first in our, in our culture, in Western society, in New Zealand society, um, and then you fast to, to make up for that mindless consumption, It's a shame-filled process. It's focused on image and ourselves and individualism. But what if Jesus, as our our church community collectively here, what if he was calling us to something different? What if he was calling us to, in these patterns of feasting and fasting, to together do that in a way that was reflected on him and his love? Because remember, it's all about love. We're drawing back to the the Last Supper and Jesus gathering his disciples, calling them to love one another. And how this pattern that I see in the Last Supper, Jesus is telling them that fasting is going to come first. They're going to be fasting from Jesus' presence and the feast of love and abundance comes after. So Jesus subverts In contrast, you've got feasting and fasting in our dominant culture here. But what if we flipped the script and we looked at fasting as a a temporary abstinence from the things that we 
immediately go to for comfort or for hope or to connect to our feelings or disconnect from our feelings? What if we use that as a way to draw nearer to God? And we fasted and allowed that to curate an appreciation for the ways in which God was working in our world around us. And we reflected and mindfully sacrificed the things in our lives that were drawing us away from God. It could be food. Or if you cannot fast from food for various reasons, it could be social media, technology, TV, things which draw our attention away from God. And what if, can you see how rather than feasting first and then fasting to kind of beat ourselves up as penance for our sins, this rhythm, this is an ancient rhythm of the church that we could reconnect back into. By fasting first and being mindful of how we're fasting, being mindful of the fact that actually what is in our lives that draws us away from God how could we give that up for a season and allow our attention to be brought back to God? What follows after that is feasting. And the feast then isn't like individual like satisfaction and like kind of just pig out on things. The feast becomes a gift and a celebration and it's something that we do together. It focuses on our enjoyment and pleasure in each other and the food that we've been gifted with and blessed with and our family and our friends. And can you feel how that might be a different way of life? Like it's, it's a small but subtle shift, but it could actually be really life-giving for us rather than this constant diet and, and then binge and then and then restrict, and then feel guilty, and filled with shame. What if even in our very ordinary things of eating, and, and being with one another, we were aware of this pattern that the ancient church knew and drew on, that Jesus knew and drew on, this pattern of fasting to draw near to God, and feasting for the celebration of just being together, and being present in that love together. So the Last Supper and the disciples, Jesus points them forward towards a way of being together that is based on love. And he still does that with us today. He points us forward to a way of being together, drawing into this pattern of fasting and feasting in a way that's mindful of God in amongst it. Are you kind of following, following me? I've heard a lot of talk on fasting throughout my years growing up in church, but this talk on feasting and using it as a gift and as a celebration together really stuck out to me. There's a, an author, Kendall Vanderslice, and in her book, We Will Feast, um, she has this quote, Feasting is a time to delight in the abundance of God's creation and to commune with God as well. It is a reminder that God not only provides for our basic needs, but that God also chooses to address those needs 
through conviviality, pleasure, and bountiful celebration of food, family, and friends. God enjoys us celebrating together. And if we can be mindful for that, and we, we dig deep into these rhythms of fasting and feasting, and we use it as a way to, to reorientate our gaze towards God, to deeply appreciate the things that he gives us in our world. Just as, you know, at the Last Supper, Jesus knows that there's a journey ahead of the disciples. They're going to go through, they're going to mourn and grieve the loss of Jesus. But ultimately, the presence of God on earth through the Holy Spirit and the love that will be in their midst is a beautiful feast to look forward to. And something as we, as we finish up and we dig deeper into this application, how does this look? I really wanted to point out that this is something that doesn't happen in isolation. This is something that has to happen in community. And that in itself is a huge contrast to the dominant culture that says, find the pleasure for yourself. Eat that chocolate cake all to yourself because you can. The way of Jesus is to to do this in community, to celebrate together, which is a beautiful thing. So as we, as we wrap up this series, our God of the ordinary is near to us in the fasting as well as the feasting. Because we're talking about food and quite, you know, physical things at the moment, but there's times in our lives where you feel like your spiritual life is in a desert and you're in a fa- season of fasting but know that God is near in those moments, just as much as he is near to you when you feel like you're spiritually feasting on God in the presence of others. If we look back to, to John and we, we read over these verses which dive into love, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying, as a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. It's about relationship, doing life together. What would it look like for us as a community to step away from from that narrative of individualism and to abide in love together? Going on to, to John in verses 12 and 17 of chapter 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. I think love is pretty important to Jesus. But we have rhythms in our lives. We have rhythms of fasting and rhythms of feasting. Not just in our celebrations and our eating, but in our spiritual lives, in our emotional lives. We're going through a huge moment at the moment as a congregation, as a society, where some of us might feel like we're fasting, where things are being restricted from us. Some of us are feeling like we're feasting and things are going great. But actually, God is near to all of us, no matter where we find ourselves. God is near in the fasting and in the feasting. And love means coming together, celebrating with each other, no matter what stage of the journey you find yourself in. 
Our God of the ordinary is near, as near to us together as we fast and feast. Not just as we eat and go about our day and go about our spiritual lives individually, but together, the God of the ordinary is with us. And so I wanted to leave you with a really practical application. And, but a couple of questions first. Is, is God calling you to a fast? Is there something in your life that he's calling you to give up, to release in order to draw near to him? Is there something in your life that God is calling you to feast on? Maybe he's calling you to actually celebrate the good things in life, the people you can connect with and join together with. It might be having a barbecue or it might be having a cuppa on Zoom. Is God calling you to a season of fasting or feasting? Which season are you in at the moment? And a deeper question would be, where are we at as a community? Maybe it's a bit much to think of collectively as a community because we're all in different spaces. But maybe God's calling your family to a fast season. Maybe he's calling your family to a feast season where you're not focused on restricting your diet just for image or, or whatever other reason, but you're, you're fasting in order to draw near to God and then you're feasting together to celebrate what he's doing in your life of your family. Or maybe it's your small group. Is it a season of fasting together or a season of feasting? And, and finally... That's, that's our collective application, how we could be, how are we going to do this rhythm together? But individually, there's always a time where we break our fast in the morning. Now, it might be six o'clock in the morning when you wake up, or we might be one of those people that doesn't eat until midday or has whatever stuff you've got going on. But as you get up in the morning, as you go to the cupboard and maybe you're getting out the the wheat bix, maybe your kids are all hungry and starving and so you're getting out the yogurt for them. You've got some apricot yogurt. Maybe, here we go, we've got to have to have the milk and pop that all in the bowl. Maybe you're a toast person and you've got to get the, the multigrain out. Didn't really have space for a toaster up here. Um, you might be a peanut butter person or your household might be one of those nut-free, might have a good bit of Marmite. I, yep, I won't get into the Marmite-Vegemite debate. But this breakfast is something that is an everyday occurrence for most of us. Maybe you have smoothies, maybe you do something else, maybe you cook breakfasts, maybe you go out for breakfasts. This is a moment where we could actually be mindful of the God of the ordinary, who is near to us in the fasting as well as the feasting. How might you just take a moment in that routine of getting breakfast ready for your kids, for yourself? How might you just take a moment to just breathe in and know that God is near to you as you're breaking your fast? Maybe you might choose to fast breakfast 
sometime this week. And you, ta- you go and you sit with God and you take a moment to, to allow that, that abstinence from food to draw you closer to him. Or maybe sometime this week you decide to cook up some bacon and eggs for breakfast and rejoice in the feast of God's love. You could do it with your family. You could do it with your small group. Um, breakfast club, I think it might be time. Let's go out for some waffles and just feast on God's love together and the fact that he is near to us in community as we do this. So to finish, I'm gonna pray a prayer about the God of the ordinary and our rhythms of feasting and fasting. I just need to get some of this off the table so I can still read my notes. Oh. I gotta forget, don't forget the coffee as well. Coffee is always good for breaking your fast. Little friendly manager cup shout out. Um, so let's pray this prayer together. It's gonna come up on screen and it's a reflection on God with us in the ordinary. God of the ordinary, be near to us in our fasting and in our feasting. May we rejoice together as we draw near to you, as we abstain in order to better see and recognise your love at work in our world. May we also rejoice together as we celebrate the gifts of pleasure and enjoyment that you have given us in food, family and friends. May we know your nearness in the fasting and in the feasting of our everyday lives. It's awesome to be together with you this morning and I just ask that God's peace and blessing and hope and joy would be with you this week.